Standing alone, each has his own ticket in his hand. As the evening descends, I start thinking about everything. People who accuse other people of overthinking or overlearning, I mean, it's, it's generally because uh, I think they're not willing to put in the own, you know, the intellectual or the, uh, you know, the physical effort themselves. Welcome to Waiting Here for Every Man. I'm Kendall Hallman. Each week on the show, I interview a regular person about the music in their life. Matt Saunders was my private trombone teacher in high school. He took me through the college audition process and prepared me as much as one person could for what was in store. Now he teaches general music at a college level, directs a community orchestra, and composes original work in his spare time. Uh, so we'll just uh, we'll just dive right on in. Um, so uh, the first question uh, that I always ask uh, my guests is on a scale of one to ten, with one being a casual hobbyist and ten being an uncompromising professional musician. Where would you put yourself? Uh, you know, once upon a time I would have said a ten uh, on that scale. Uh, since I've moved to Cleveland, uh, I have to say that. Uh, uh, there are times around here when I definitely feel like I'm out of my league, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in this scene and uh, you know, just an incredible music scene that's going on in, in Cleveland and uh, uh, people who uh, uh, mop the floor with me musically. And that's been great to be around. It's uh, it's intimidating sometimes, but when you work with better people, you get better. Mm-hmm. So it's been good for me. So right. probably like, like compared to some of the people around here, I'm definitely, you know, like an, an eight or a nine on that scale and uh, you know my life it's my profession right but right. uh um you know the the level that uh many of the people here uh have just kind of on a day in day out regular basis is just astounding to me okay uh, i haven't always enjoyed that in my in my career so right right uh, so good um so what uh what's you now it's, it is your it is your profession uh just for the for the benefit of the listeners, why don't you say what what specifically your uh, your position is? Sure, I'm the uh, chair of the music department at Lakeland Community College. Uh, I have uh, three college degrees in music: a bachelor's degree from the University of Cincinnati, and a master's degree and a doctorate in music composition from the Ohio State University. Uh, at Lakeland, I also direct the uh, Civic Orchestra, the Lakeland Civic Orchestra, which is uh, primarily a community group, although uh, Lakeland Community College students can take it for credit. 
Um, and that's, uh, and, um, uh, my other, my other thing, my other life <laughs> sort of, uh, that, that I don't, I don't draw a regular salary for is, uh, that I'm a composer uh, okay. of, of concert music. Okay. Um, so, uh, so do you consider, would you consider yourself, uh, because you are definitely an, an educator at this point in your life, would you consider yourself to be more a, a musician, the, the, a musician or, or an educator, if you had to choose one or one or the other to describe yourself? Uh, I would choose a musician, uh, who has a nine to five job as an educator. Okay. Okay. And that nine to five job, because it's a full-time academic position, uh, you know, nine to five is not the correct description. It, it takes more than that sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I'm at the point now where I'm comfortable with most of the courses that I'm teaching. I've taught them many times uh, over and over again. And, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of autopilot that's there. Mm -hmm. And what I really live for is uh, to do the musical things that I do. So the, to conduct the orchestra, to uh, um, uh, compose new music and collaborate with people on getting it performed. Uh, even though that doesn't pay the bills <laughs> right, necessarily, right. so uh, you know that's that's my passion. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't get to play trombone nearly enough. I don't get to, uh, um, you know, I, I, but that's that's life. You can't do everything. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's um, that's sort of sort of one of my goals uh, with this with this podcast is to get the feel for how people balance balance that. So, um, as an as an educator and somebody who works within uh you know within within sort of the, the the music academy um do you ever do you ever find uh it challenging to to sort of balance that like what the music that you want to be playing the music you want to be doing with the things that you have to do for your job um uh, most of my teaching is actually general education courses um uh, music appreciation and the history of popular music. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, uh, you know, that's not really, I, I can pick and choose my examples uh, in class, but I'm not really collaborating with my students all that much. Okay. Uh, when musically speaking. And, uh, uh, you know, the exception to that is the orchestra work and coming to orchestra from the concert band world. I feel like I'm now getting to explore this whole, uh, um, area of music, uh, um, the great composers, the, uh, uh, the complexity that orchestral music has, uh, that just wasn't always present, uh, when I was a wind band director, mm -hmm. uh, concert band director. And that's not to cast aspersions on, you know, the world that gave me my shot. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, what that I was a part of for a long time, I always considered myself to be a band person and, uh, and that's what I did. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of great band music, but it's not Beethoven and it's not Tchaikovsky and it's not uh, 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 Stravinsky, even though Stravinsky mm -hmm. wrote in band a little bit. But right. it's fun to uh, uh, to do that. And then the other aspect of being the orchestra conductor is every now and then, certainly not every concert or, or even every year, uh, I feel like I can program my own music with this group. And so I have a, uh, a built in kind of uh, vehicle for my own compositions if I choose to write for orchestra. Right. Right. I would imagine. Yeah. I, Cause I would imagine that would be a, a real, a real challenge, uh, writing, writing for large, large ensembles like that to just have, have an ensemble. Um, I mean, I know that, I know that now that I am not 
a part of of the academy i can't even find a trombone quartet to play with you know right, so right. <laughs> so that so an entire orchestra would be a would be we'd be a whole a whole other a whole other world well and then to get to be the conductor of this group i really uh when i took the position at lakeland uh you know being the being the orchestra conductor was not in the job description and we happened to need one the first semester i was there and i i, uh, I said to the dean i said well i could i can do it and he said well we'll give you a semester and see how it goes mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's worked out i've, I've really been uh, uh pleased to have that it's an opportunity every week to make music with people that uh you know it, the wonderful thing is they're they're they come every monday night for the sheer love of making music mm -hmm. And that's just fantastic. It's uh, it's great. Yes, we put on concerts, but it's really about getting together and making music and rehearsing. And the positive impact that I see in people's lives uh, is just just amazing. I've got you know everything from uh, you know freshmen in high school playing in this thing all the way up to uh, uh, people who are in their 90s who uh, uh, you know can't imagine not coming every Monday night. Mm -hmm. Um. Now, when uh, programming music for a community group like that, that has such, such a diversity, I would imagine not only in ages, but in skill level. Um, how, what is your, what's your strategy to make it so that it's not, you're not just playing, you know, James Swearingen pieces for the, for the low level stuff, but, but also right. you're not, you know, butchering something that's, that's a really difficult piece. There are, uh, and I was just working on, I have a list of, of things I call great big pieces, <laughs> uh, things that I think that, one day, if the if the cards are right and the right players end up in the right place, that that we might have a shot at playing things like Beethoven's Ninth Symphony or uh, even Mahler's First Symphony, mm -hmm. uh, and, or the Hindemith Symphonic Metamorphoses. Um, you know, I think that we could go that direction. That would be really a stretch for us. Uh, and would we do it as well as uh, the Cleveland Orchestra or the New York Philharmonic? Absolutely not. You know, that's the show. That's the uh, uh, the people who uh, do nothing but think about how to play this music all the time. Uh, you know, a group that's coming in once a week, uh, you know, we're just naturally going to be a little more ragged than that. And I think that's the first thing that I, you know, you have to accept in working with community people that, uh, uh, you know, it's not going to be perfect. And mm -hmm. fortunately, my background <laughs> is not working with people who play perfectly all the time. Right. Uh, I've always been a music educator. I've always been... Uh, you know, uh, one of my favorite things ever to teach was fifth grade band. Uh, it's great fun because you, you know, everybody learns something every time you meet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, uh, have fun making the music and, uh, and see how this music speaks to us and give people that opportunity to be, to be out in it every week. Uh, you know, while not necessarily learning, uh, worrying about, you know, is every chord in tune? Is uh, you know is the paying public going to abandon us? Uh, you know if we uh, if we aren't perfect. Right, right. That said, uh, uh, you know I've, I've I've learned to kind of uh, seek out those pieces that uh, that fit the group that makes sense for us. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know sometimes it means we do easier pieces, uh, but we still do them at just as high a level. And my it's been my good fortune to find that this group. Uh, generally comes up to the level that we need to to be at to play a piece. Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, only, uh, only very rarely had to say this just isn't going to work for us. 
we need to do something else, which is good because orchestra music is expensive. Right, right. Purchase to put on the stands. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's not easy that way. But, uh, um, you know, we play pieces that you would see on a Cleveland orchestra mm -hmm. program. I'm always very gratified to see something that, that we've done or that we're going to do. The wonderful thing is when, when uh, uh, they're doing something the same year that we are and it lines up and I can say, you know, if you want to hear this, go downtown and, and right. hear it this weekend <laughs> and see how it goes. So um, this is I was this is just something I was I was thinking about uh, earlier today because I was uh, strumming some covers on my on my guitar and one thing that when I'm learning when I'm learning cover tunes on my guitar uh, I will listen to the song enough to you know to make sure that I'm doing it right but I don't want to listen I don't want to over listen to it because I want to learn my own interpretation of it. Mm -hmm. Um, does, I guess, I guess I usually think of a, a more classical, uh, setting. You would do the opposite of that. You would, you would listen, you would listen to it and try to get it, you know, exactly the way it's supposed to be. Um, is there, is there still some in, in, room for interpretation in a, in an orchestral setting, in a more classical setting? I think absolutely. Uh, one of the things I, I try not to do, uh, and it's easy to do is to over listen to something and uh, let some other conductor make all the decisions for you. Uh, the danger in that is that uh, you know, what works with the London Symphony or uh, the Cleveland Orchestra may or may not work for the Lakeland Civic Orchestra in terms of tempo, in terms of uh, interpretation, in terms of just the way that our sound reverberates in our auditorium. And so I can't make the same assumptions that uh, 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 you know, another orchestra makes or another conductor makes uh, when we're putting something together and figuring out how it how it goes, how it needs to go for us, um, you know. That said, of course, we're playing the notes that the composer wrote and right. uh, and everything else. Uh, there isn't quite as much freedom as when you're, you know, covering a well-known pop song. Mm -hmm. You know, but the you know you, there are still uh, it, it's a it's a continuum. It's not a it's not a a set of absolutes. Right. Right. Um, okay. So. Uh... I guess this sort of brings me to, to um, a, a question that I'm bad at asking. Um, so there is a there is like a, a a perception of of classical music and of and of sort of the 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 music the music academy uh, that people do fall into that trap of uh, you know for lack of a better term kind of overlearning their instrument or 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 just sort of learning what, what's supposed to happen. I give the, I always give the example of when I went to uh, a jazz camp in high school and, and the, the guy said, the guy said, okay, if you want to learn to improvise, you need to memorize everything Charlie Parker ever did as sort of like, you know, the, the, the extreme of that. Um, do you, do you, I mean, I guess, first of all, do you, do you agree that that is an issue with, with uh, sort of the, the high, higher education with music and how, how have you avoided that? Sure. Uh, that's the perception. Um, you know, what some people call overthinking, I call thinking, right? Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, on uh, uh, people who accuse other people of overthinking or overlearning, I mean, it's, it's generally because uh, I think they're not willing to put in the own, you know, the intellectual or the, uh, you know, the physical effort themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, Overlearning your instrument can you, can you have too much technique? 
uh, on your instrument? I, I, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I have never been in a situation where, uh, 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 you know, piano and trombone and mostly trombone is my main instrument. And I get by on piano. The biggest mistake I ever made was, uh, quitting piano when I was 12 years old. Um, no, I didn't quit because I thought I had learned everything on that instrument. Uh, you know, I quit because I was 12 and didn't have the patience to ride to piano lessons anymore behind right. this bus that stunk up my car and made me car sick. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was, uh, uh, I, you know, I was a kid and I made a dumb choice. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I it didn't quit because I thought I had learned everything I, there was to learn by any stretch. Right, right. Um, you know, trombone the same way. I've never been in a place where, uh, you know, I felt like I was good enough. Uh, and that would be fine because there's always somebody who's better. It's music theory that often uh, comes in at the, for the brunt of this. Uh, right. <laughs> and kind of uh, the, the, the traditional staid approaches. Uh, you know, if somebody told you to learn all of Charlie Parker's solos, that's not a terrible idea. Uh, he was a heck of a technical player. Right. And, uh, you know, especially if you want to learn how to play like Charlie Parker, well, then it would make sense to memorize all his solos. Mm -hmm. The question is, do you want to learn to play like Charlie Parker? And, you know, the step, uh, learning, you know, learning the entire Omni book, uh, the, you know, the book of the transcribed Parker solos yep. is, uh, it's, it's one step on the way to developing your individual voice. And it's not the only step, it's one potential step. You know, if you want, if you're a guitar player and you want to, uh, to be a great guitarist, you're going to select your influences. If right. uh, Steve Vai is your influence, uh, then you listen to everything Steve Vai wrote and you uh, learn to play as much of it as you can. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to be, if, you, if you're into Hendrix, you do it with Hendrix. If you're right. into uh, uh, Les Paul, you do it with Les Paul. <laughs> it's, uh, um, you know, it, you have to, you pick and choose your influences. Right, right. A smart person, I think, uh, you know, takes that as a starting point. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, um, you know, Miles Davis is your uh, your model playing jazz, then you, uh, uh, you learn everything Miles Davis did. Mm -hmm. You learn everything that uh, everybody else did on right. the kind of album or Bitches Brew or Sketches of Spain. Uh-huh. Whichever version of Miles Davis you actually like, right, right, yeah, that's that's actually really really interesting the way you've you've put that because I've done that. It was not <laughs> conscious. I have at one point I said I'm going to learn the entire Bob Dylan Blood on the Tracks album. Yeah, um, you know, I I I when I had my band, I went out of the way so that we could play an, an entire show, you know, like an hour and a half long show of all Beatles music, so that I could really expose myself to that. And I've, I've, you know, forced myself to listen to the entire Beatles catalog. Um, right. not, not necessarily learning all of it, obviously, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's really, that's, that's just really interesting that I never had, had really, uh, realized that what I do is the same thing. You know, it's, it's, it's always interesting when you see sort of different, different angles of, of music. So as a composer, um, you know, let's say that I'm commissioned to write a string quartet, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I can, I can not have a lot of background in writing a string quartet, and I can come up with something. Uh, but, you know, the genre of the string quartet itself has a history and it has a past. Whether I, you know, whether I appreciate and accept that or not, uh, I need to know something about what uh, Milt, uh, 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 
uh, Elliot Carter did, and I need to know something about what Beethoven did, and I need to know something about what Shostakovich did, and uh, you know, the other great composers for that medium. And if I if I don't have kind of the basis of those things uh, and, and those ideas, then uh, it's hard to write a good piece because I don't know exactly mm -hmm. what my players will expect. Because as a quartet, they will have played those people, or at least some of them. Right, right. So uh, uh, you know, to understand the language uh, and the assumptions that are there, okay. whether I go with those assumptions or not. Now, um, I need to have that background. I need to. You know, I need to have studied. I guess. I guess the other the other side of that, and this is my this has been my experience doing a lot of home recording with my writing, mm -hmm. is. Uh, I've been kind of halfway learning a lot of instruments lately and um, you know, just enough to muddle through a song. Uh, I, sometimes I feel like not knowing what this is supposed to sound like or what this is supposed to do allows for more experimentation. This is the idea, right? Yeah. You know, um, you know, freeze you from those. Uh, you don't, if you don't know what the assumptions are, then you're free from those assumptions. Right. Right. So, you know, the, the, the process I describe where you, you do overthink and you do overlearn and, uh, uh, you know, gather as much information as you can, uh, it makes it that much more difficult to sort of cast off the, uh, um, you know, the, the, uh, the axioms, as it were. Right, right. <laughs> uh, once, you, once you've learned the rules, right. uh, it can become difficult to, uh, to forget the rules. Mm-hmm. And that that takes time, and that's uh, that's artistic development, right? Um, you know, yes, uh, and uh, you know, I, I don't know what instruments you've actually gone after in this way, but I, you know, there are plenty of guitar players who can pick up a banjo or a mandolin, right, right, go around a little bit, and the you know the difference between guitar and bass, or guitar and uh, you know, six string to twelve string, right, or right. that kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it sometimes is fairly minimal, and it you know you've got these sort of families of of skills where the, you know, the skills you've developed in depth on one instrument can, uh, uh, or, in, you know, in one practice can do you good on another mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and get you started at least. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to, to, uh, to, yeah, I, yeah, you, you, I didn't mean to say you were wrong to learn things because I actually do have, I actually do think the reason that I've been able to pick up, these these instruments and kind of halfway play them is because I have a foundation in in trombone, a foundation in guitar playing, and specifically rhythm guitar playing, which sort of translated to drums, and as well as the other, you know. So I have these foundations in these instruments, and I know that, and I know the theory, so I can look at a at a melodica and I can be like, okay, that looks like a keyboard. This is yeah. a C major chord, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know. Right, right. You know, it's a uh, it's the analogy I always use is to uh, um, uh, learning uh, uh, foreign languages. You know, once you've learned Spanish, uh, you know, Portuguese and French are not that far away. Right, right. Uh, you know, it's uh, because there are similarities between them. And even, you know, even the skills that you learn uh, that you need to develop to learn a language, uh, you know, you could, you could find a language that's completely foreign uh you know i don't know if you saw the movie arrival <laughs> yeah 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 i did i did see that here's, yeah. here's amy adams character and she's completely confronted with uh you know a language that is completely unlike any earth language that she's ever studied but mm -hmm. the skills that she has as a linguist 
uh, at least uh, uh, in the, you know, it makes great film <laughs> uh, for the skills that she has as a linguist uh, to be broadly ap- applicable. And I think that's true in music too. If you think about it in sports, I mean, you know, look at uh, Michael Jordan, who was a, you know, an incredible basketball player. It's not really all that surprising that he was a halfway decent baseball player too. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or Bo Jackson, baseball and football, you know, the all-around athlete, because to some extent being an athlete is being an athlete. Right, right. So, uh, so just uh, changing gears here a little bit. Okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, composing. Um, you you do use the term composing. I've talked to other people who I would consider composers who think that term is a little too too gra- grandiose. I guess. Uh, do you have any any opinion on that? Uh, I the only name I can think of for what I do is composing. Uh, you know, if I were to call myself a songwriter. Uh, that kind of implies that I'm working in the popular music vein uh-huh. and coming up with these, uh, you know, usually kind of three or four minute nuggets and maybe writing my own lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. not doing things. Yeah, um, I think I think song songwriting to me implies that it's somebody singing over over some basic chords, right? Where it's, where it's more wrong based in the melody. You know, yeah, it, it's it's always been a great way to make music, um, and I've tried it from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even taught a class in it back in Oklahoma uh, at my uh, my previous job. Um, you know, the other word that I hear people kick around a lot of times is producer. Uh, I'm definitely not doing that. I don't work with a computer. I don't do uh, my own recording. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, the computer work that I do is for notation, traditional notation, rather than uh, uh, you know, mixing beats and loops and uh, right, right. Uh, finding those sources. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not Skrillex or Moby. right right yeah yeah no that that totally i I put i put little squiggles on paper and give it to human beings to uh interpret and make into something and i if that's not a composer i don't know what is right right no i i i totally agree with that uh uh so now we got that out of the way uh Mm -hmm. walk me through your your composition uh process and feel free to be as as mundane and detailed as 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 you'd like Sure. Um, I guess I'll, I'll talk about the piece that I'm working on now and sort of what the, uh, the plan is for that. Okay. Uh, it's, it's going to be called Place of the Sea Mountains. Uh, and um, I was contacted by um, uh, Alan Wenger, who is the trumpet professor at the University of Central Missouri. Um, he and I, uh, he performed a piece that I wrote a few years back on a festival. And um, he has a trio called Tro- uh, Troika Melange. And it's a trio of trumpet, piano, and violin. And uh, he contacted me because they're looking uh, for pieces uh, to take on tour to Europe next year and to record. And he, uh, I had mentioned before, oh, that sounds like an interesting combination. And he came back with, I'd really like to, uh, to have you write something for us. And so my, my rule is that I, I don't write for the desk drawer. Uh, I only write a piece of music if I've got, a, at, at the very least, uh, the promise of a performance. Um, 
it's also nice to be paid. Uh, right. But at the very least, uh, 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 you know, I need to be I need to be commissioned, uh, and that's important. I still have pieces that I wrote years ago uh, that are sitting around, uh, uh, you know, not literally in the desk drawer, but in in my computer files that, that still need a performance. Um, you know, I just the other the other thing is that if I don't have that performance uh, kind of looming and that deadline, uh, I don't think I write as well. Uh, I think I, I think without that kind of pressure, uh, it doesn't work so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the uh, you know the idea for the piece came up, and then uh, I live in Willowick, Ohio, and about 50 years ago, uh, well, 52 years ago, 1965, a guy from Willowick named Robert Manry. Um, uh, lived, uh, his kids went to the same elementary school my, my son goes to. Um, he, uh, he was an editor, uh, a copy editor for the Plain Dealer here in town, and uh, he bought a boat, a 13-and-a-half-foot sailboat that he called Tinkerbell, and uh, sailed across the Atlantic solo in the summer of 1965, 77 days. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was reading his memoir. I was interested in it because he was local. His boat is in the... Uh, Historical Society Museum in Cleveland, and uh, um, you know, just it's fascinating uh, to me that somebody would attempt this kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if it's still the smallest boat ever to cross the North Atlantic, uh, but it was at the time. Right, right. And uh, he is something of a hero, and uh, you, know, you mention him still, and a lot of people know who he is if they're of a certain age, uh, and all this. So it, was a, it was a big deal in 1965, and uh, um, uh, in the book. Uh, he describes uh, to stay awake over long periods of time. Uh, he, would, uh, he would take, uh, he calls them uh, stay awake pills. I assume they were amphetamines right. uh, of some kind, uh, you know, being the 60s. And, um, you know, because you know, there are times you just can't go to sleep <laughs> uh, in the middle of a voyage like that if there's nobody else to pilot the boat. And he describes uh, uh, one of the effects uh, between this and sort of the loneliness and the desolation of being on the open ocean was that he would have hallucinations. And he describes one of these in great detail uh, in the book, uh, sailing through what he calls the place of the sea mountains. Uh, and just some wonderful imagery that kind of inspired me for this piece. Um, and so uh, the piece is going to be based on that. Uh, and it is kind of a programmatic piece of music, which I don't always do, uh, you know, in the sense that there's a story that this piece uh, uh, refers to and is about, and you should be able to kind of follow the story, uh, you know, through the piece as it goes along. Um, so the next step is to kind of, uh, think about some of the, uh, the textures. Uh, the piano is kind of playing the role as you will of the sea. So there are lots, lots of kind of rippling, repetitive sorts of textures. Uh, a few years ago, I started listening to music by a composer named John Luther Adams, uh, who uh, is from Alaska. He lives in New York now, um, but uh, 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 had the opportunity to play a piece that he wrote and, and to meet him. And uh, then he went and uh, uh, his uh, the recording of a piece that he wrote for the Seattle Symphony won a Grammy Award called Become Ocean. And uh, then uh, Taylor Swift decided to make a major donation to the Seattle Symphony based on this piece. The, the sequel to it is coming out. It's really just an incredible piece of music and and i would be lying if i said that there wasn't some some inspiration from Mm. john luther adams music into my own uh and i can't think of 
a composer whose work is different, more different than that, uh, from mine of of John Luther Adams. He's mm -hmm. uh, but just amazing music and music that I've striven to kind of understand and uh, in a lot of ways kind of opened some new directions for me. So this this piece in some ways uh, is taking some of the ideas from from that. Uh, I don't think anybody would look at it on the surface and say, oh, he's cribbing uh, John Luther Adams, he's cribbing Become Ocean. Right, but, right. Uh, um, you know, because we really are two very different composers uh, in that way, but but it's there. And so now where I am in the piece, I'm about halfway through kind of uh, the first draft of it. It will be about a, a 10 or 12 minute piece uh, by the time I'm done. Uh, I've done some serious work of thinking about how the uh, uh, the harmonies will shift and change through this piece. I have, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, I've got it mapped out. Uh, I've done a lot of uh, set class analysis and trying to understand how the chords that I'm coming up with uh, can be related to each other and can move from one to the next. Uh, and then, you know, just how this sort of fits together. And that's, mm -hmm. that's where it is right now. It's due uh, at the end of the year. Uh, or maybe February, something like that. So I've got some time to think about it. Right. You know, juggling it with some other projects and things I do with the uh, Cleveland Composers Guild. Um, you know, being a five to nine composer uh, who is the father of two, and I like to see my wife occasionally, uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, and everything else. Uh, my time composing is more limited than I would like it to be, and it has to share with uh, some obligations I have. Uh, to a group that I'm in here in Cleveland called the Cleveland Composers Guild. I'm the secretary of that group, so uh, uh, you know, constantly things that need to be done with that. Uh, what I typically do is wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, hopefully an hour before everybody else, although uh -huh. my old daughter is turning out to be sort of a morning person. <laughs> and uh, uh, often, like this morning, she was up at 6.30. Uh, but I hope to get that hour from 6 to 7 every morning and uh, – uh, it's, it's really a great thing to be able to kind of dedicate, if nothing else, all day, the first hour of my day to composing, mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to doing what I do. Um, you know, I have to be careful not to stay up too late. <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, uh, you know, really, uh, I've been doing that for about two years now and, uh, and making some good progress uh, that way. Uh, so that's where that's where that piece is now. That's sort of my process. Uh, uh, you know, since this since the group that will pr premiere it is in Missouri, um, you know, I imagine at some point I will uh, ship off the score and parts to them, and uh, you know, maybe we'll do what you and I are doing right now and Skype a rehearsal uh, or something like that. And uh, but I'm you know I will have to kind of let this go and be, uh, you know, send my baby off to something else right, and. and right let it go but that's that's what we do as composers anyway mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm excited to see how it comes out now uh for, first of all that was a great that was great you answered all my follow-up questions in your, <laughs> in your little statement there but uh uh so just just a couple other things so you do so you dedicate the first hour of your day as many days as you can so you have like a time set aside uh for composing um are there days That's the only way it works? Otherwise, yeah. it doesn't get. <laughs> um, are there are there days that uh, that you that you struggle to that you struggle to wake up or you feel uninspired? Uh, struggle to wake up, yes, <laughs> uh, because it's really easy, you know. 
uh, to come home at night and you're sitting on the couch with your wife mm-hmm. and uh, you know, oh, just one more of, uh, of, of whichever show we're watching you know? yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and to stay up too late. It's easy to do that. And then, um, you know, it's, uh, but uh, I'm at the point now as a composer where I feel like uh, uh, I've got my brain trained. I've got the, you know, I don't, I don't rely on waiting around for inspiration okay. uh, that way that way is dangerous uh, because inspiration is fickle. Uh, and you said you want your parents to be able to listen to this. So uh, I'm not going to say what people usually say about inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, 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 you know, you, with anything, anything you want to be serious about. And I read this in a book a long time ago. Uh, anything that you are serious about, uh, if you're not putting an hour a day in on a very regular basis, uh, you really aren't all that serious. Mm-hmm. Hour a day is the start. Right. Um, you know, and, and you know, what you do, you know, what you do when you wake up from surgery in the hospital, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, if you're a writer, you have to write. If you're a, uh, a composer, you have to compose. If you're a painter, you have to paint or mm-hmm. draw, or do something. It's, uh, um, you know, if you're serious about something, uh, you will find a way to do it every day. And so it took me a while to kind of come to this. And mm-hmm. yes, sometimes my hour gets interrupted, uh, like it did this morning. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you know, that's, that's life. That's, that's parenthood. But my brain now knows that when I sit down, uh, and when the alarm goes off and I, you know, it's time to go sit down and, and do the right. thing. And, you know, I do, uh, seven o'clock comes around and, um, uh, sometimes I'm right in the middle of something and have to leave myself a note, <laughs> in the computer mm-hmm. file there to pick up on it um uh just to make sure but you know i'm always kind of ready uh and the hour time frame uh honestly to spend much more of that in one sitting uh it's really easy to let your brain turn into mush right 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 like, and to start questioning yourself so even if i did have more time i would want to break it up through the day a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and uh you know Another thing somebody once told me, a, a teacher once told me, Jerry Doan, who was my uh, uh, my advisor as an undergraduate, he said, you know, if you if you practice an hour a day, then when it's time to to have the occasional eight hour day, you can handle it. Right. You can right. do it. Um, you know, that doesn't mean you want to do eight hours every day, but uh, if you're putting it in on a regular basis when you need it, it's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so I guess I guess composing really the the other you know the other side of it in addition to actually getting stuff done if you're Mm -hmm. composing every day and you know getting and doing something every day it kind of keeps keeps your chops up just like just like it would with um with yeah with with practicing your instrument um yeah i've i've found uh there there have been times in my life where i was where i was like that with my songwriting where i would write you know i would write a song a week or something. And most of the songs would, maybe I'd play them at an open mic. Maybe I would never perform them anywhere. Maybe I wouldn't record them, but then when you get something, but when you get something good, you know, it's monkeys, monkeys type typing on a keyboard or whatever. Eventually, eventually (laughs) something comes out. Um, the other thing, the other thing that, uh, you know, composing for an orchestra or a concert band, a, a larger ensemble, I would imagine just, it just, probably takes a long time to write all those parts. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, extremely time consuming. And so, yeah, um, you know, a 10 minute piece for, uh, for trio 
like I'm working on right now, uh, uh, you know, that's uh, if I were writing a 10 minute orchestra piece mm. at the point where I'm done with the trio, I would still have this other process of, uh, of translating it into uh, uh, an ensemble and making sure that uh, every part looks the right way and, and sounds mm. the right way and that they, they interact with each other. And this is one of those places where, uh, uh, um, you know, your training and your background and, and your skills, they all, they all start to come together. You know, I've been studying orchestral scores uh, since I was in high school and uh, looking at them and comparing the notes on the page to the sound that comes out of the orchestra. Uh, it would be uh, people try to write orchestral music without having a firm grasp of the history of orchestral music. Mm -hmm. uh, usually doesn't come out very well uh, it, it, or it may sound great in a computer or then when you hand the parts to a bunch of players you discover that uh, you've written things that are are just not practical uh-huh um so actually speaking of of com of computers um you've been you've been doing it for a little while I know I'm I'm getting I'm getting older so you must be getting older too uh, I think that's how I think that's how math works um, yeah <laughs> uh, how has uh, changing technology over the years uh, impacted you? First, your your personal uh, composition, but also like what you what you observe as an educator. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I'm currently using uh, the major technology that I use is uh, Sibelius version six mm -hmm. for notation. Uh, I don't really do much uh, with electronic music or sequencing or. I don't even have a MIDI keyboard uh, right. in my house. Uh, I put everything in via the, uh, the QWERTY keyboard. And uh, I, I've developed an interface with Sibelius 6 that I really like. Uh, I've never bothered to upgrade past that because I'm not teaching composition students right. much on a regular basis these days. Um, it just makes sense. I'm comfortable with it. My hardware is in good shape, and, and I don't see any reason to move. I'm interested in some of the new programs that are coming out. Uh, and all of that, uh, it, you know, that's, uh, but that said, it's, uh, it's fairly easy to be a finale or Sibelius composer. Mm. Uh, when I think of, uh, you know, Stravinsky's piece, The Rite of Spring, which I just saw uh, at Severance Hall at the Cleveland Orchestra last week, and uh, to think that he did it uh, entirely by hand uh, and by sitting at the piano and banging out chords and trying to imagine what these instruments would sound like in his head. Uh, primarily now Sibelius doesn't give, you know, incredibly realistic sound on the, the VST that I have <laughs> installed, right, right. but it, it gives you at least an idea. Uh, and my saying is always, if it, if it, uh, sounds good in the computer, then it might work with human performers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. You know, but Stravinsky didn't have any of this and, and yet produced these masterpieces. Mm -hmm. Go back 200 years before, go to Bach and, you know, here's Bach. If he wants to work at night, he has to light a candle. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, um, you know, and, and and producing, you know, just work after work. There's hardly any bad Bach uh, mm -hmm. in the in the you know 1500 or so pieces that that he wrote. Uh, you know, they might all sound the same after a while because there's so many of them. But uh, uh, you know, it just it's just incredible to me what what the man was able to mm -hmm. accomplish. Um, Right. You know, with, with, uh, uh, I mean, with finalians, I think the thing is with finale or Sibelius, like I, I would, if there's, a, if you have a typo in the, in mm -hmm. your music 
and you hit play on Finale and Sibelius, you know that if it sounds wrong, you know that it's your fault. <laughs> like, you know, you, you know that that chord is wrong. You know, it's not, it's right, not right. one of the players playing the wrong note. It's not, you know, trying to, and, and, and so you can kind of, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely gives you a, gives, you, gives you a starting yeah. point. It's, uh, and, and I use, I, you know, I adore that playback feature. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's so important. It's, it's hard not to rely on that sometimes. And, uh, uh, you know, because uh, it's in the end, it is a machine and machines can do a lot of things that, that people can do and people can do things that machines can't do. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's always a wonderful thing to hear for the first time an actual human being uh, playing my music. Um, I'm not a good enough pianist to play most of the piano music that I write. Mm-hmm. Um, not a tempo at least. Um, you know, I certainly, uh, I don't play the, uh, the orchestral stringed instruments or, or guitar at any level, uh, you know, that can kind of compete with, uh, you know, with, with what I, what my demands are. Right. Uh, right. You know, I, uh, so it's, uh, uh, you know, I'm still in the, you know, whether I used a computer or not, I would be in the, in the, uh, the place where I'm really hearing the music for the first time, uh, the first time I hear another person play it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that said, you know, the pitfalls are that uh, uh, copy and copy and paste is very easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very easy to do kind of uh, repetitive textural sorts of things. And, uh, um, you know, but that said, the, uh, you know, the advantage of the computer is, what it is in so many other areas, you know, I, I find it difficult to imagine writing a novel or a dissertation uh, in the era before word processing. Right, right. Uh, you know, or uh, to do accounting in the era before Excel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's the same with with music notation programs. It just uh, it makes so many things that much easier that it frees you up in this wonderful way to do the uh, the intellectual heavy lifting. Right, right. Uh, because the the grunt work is is taken care of. Yeah, so I, I worry. Uh, you know, did I transpose that clarinet part correctly? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, my uh, my my day job is with is working with uh, credit card fraud protection, and right. uh, occasionally things will happen that will inconvenience people, and people will say, "Oh, well, you know, technology, blah, 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 you know." And but it's like, yeah, but you wouldn't be able to do anything like. Like yeah. we'd have to look up, we'd have to look people up in giant file cabinets every time we, every time they called. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, I think, uh, I got one or two more things I want to discuss. Uh, first of all, I mean, you're, I, I sort of think of your background as, as more classical, you know, in the, in the, in the music Academy and whatnot. Uh, do you have any experience playing uh, jazz or rock or, or a more informal setting? Did you ever have a garage band or anything? Um, you know, I played uh, I played in jazz band all through middle school and high school and the first couple of years of college, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a big band trombonist. Uh, I took jazz improvisation in a co- as a college student with Pat Harbison, mm-hmm. uh, one of those guys that uh, would probably recommend uh, memorizing the Charlie Parker. Right, book. right. <laughs> Uh, but really an amazing teacher, one of uh, uh, Jamie Abersalt's protégés, and uh, uh, I'm you know, always glad that I took that class uh, with him at CCM. Uh, he had a whole sequence of classes that I took. Um, you know, and as it turned out, uh, I was just telling somebody the other day, uh, you know, I had great 
teachers uh, in classical music, but uh, uh, you know, I really wish I had done more with jazz. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's there's only so much time. Uh, right, right. To do classical, to do jazz, and to do music education, <laughs> yeah, uh, is is probably too much uh, for most people, especially starting where I was starting from at the beginning of college. Mm -hmm. uh, when I took my first college teaching job, I uh, uh, we had a, a they they called it a jazz band. It was more like a rock band with a horn line. Okay. Uh, but we did some jazz, and uh, uh, the instructor for that uh, and myself, uh, you know, guided people, and, and it was really cool to uh, uh, to get the opportunity to play some classic rock kind of stuff too, uh -huh. and to see where you can fit the trombone into that, and uh, you know, the 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 fun part is uh, uh, when you. Uh, when you tell them to play blues and you realize that you can do a really nasty, disgusting gut bucket blues on trombone uh -huh. and have a lot of fun with it. Um, you know, all of the classical technique, all of the, uh, um, the music theory, it comes together in this amazing way, you know, as you're improvising, improvising is just composing in real time, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and putting it out there. And so we, we had a good time doing that stuff. Uh, I kind of miss it, uh, it's not really a part of what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Now here, if I wanted to play jazz in Cleveland, I'm so outclassed by, right, right. <laughs> by all the players that are doing it that I would just embarrass myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's that too. <laughs> so um, uh, do you um, do you ever have find ways to apply that uh, sort of background in jazz to, or or your your foundation at least, your foundational knowledge in jazz at least to your compositions or even to the uh, uh, you know, conducting the orchestra? Um, not so much in, in conducting, uh, although the kind of approach to timing and uh, interpretation mm -hmm. uh, is probably important. Uh, you know, the, the, the best lesson I ever learned as a jazz trombone player was listening to Miles Davis and realizing how important silence is mm -hmm. as well as playing, that you can't, you can't just play all the time. <laughs> And that note length and articulation are these, you know, crucial, important things. And of course, I could have told you that from taking, you know, trombone lessons on the classical side and, and, and all mm -hmm. of that. But really feel how that makes a difference uh, when you don't have a sheet of music in front of you telling you to play staccato or legato. Yeah. Uh, is important. And then, you know, I feel like that's uh, everything that I've done comes together uh, in so many ways. Uh you know, I like to say I don't have that many regrets in my life because it all has brought me to this point. Uh, composition, you know, if uh, if improvisation is composition in real time, you know, to an extent, composition or composition is an improvisation that you write down. Uh, right. And so uh, the willingness to kind of experiment, to kind of uh, uh, mess around, again, that sense of rhythm, that sense of timing. Uh, you know, that's, that's crucial. The rhythm and the, you know, you know, the joke about jazz is that they play the wrong notes all the time <laughs> right. because it's the rhythm is the thing. Uh, and if the rhythm is correct, then, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter if you're playing mm -hmm. the, uh, the seventh or the ninth of the chord. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, um, I think what it comes down to and what, and sort of what it seems like you've been getting towards is having having this this variety of experiences uh with with music it it allows you to realize that things can be things can things can be different ways there are different ways to 
to interpret there are different ways to experience things. Um, and the, you know, the uh, Libby Larson, uh, composer out of Minneapolis, uh, has a saying that, you know, her, her music attempts to tell people what it's like to be alive. Um, and I always like that, that phrase, uh, with the caveat that when you listen to Libby Larson, you find out what it's like to be Libby Larson. Right. Uh, right. When you listen to John Luther Adams, you know, maybe you find out something about John Luther Adams, although I don't feel like his music is quite that ego driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you listen to Miles Davis, you find out what it's like to be Miles Davis. When you listen to, uh, you know, Joe Satriani, you find out what it's like to be Joe Satriani. Hopefully, if you're paying attention. Um, you know, so I think one thing that's crucial is finding these, uh, voices that, that are different from our own experience, uh, that maybe represent underrepresented people mm-hmm. and underrepresented, uh, uh, classes, uh, to an extent. Uh, I think that's very important. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I, as, as a middle-aged white guy who grew up uh, in an upper middle class background, I have had every advantage in this world mm-hmm. and, um, you know, have had some wonderful opportunities and done some great things over the years. And, uh, we need to do better about maybe spreading some of that around. Right. Uh, a little right. Bit. Uh, and so I would put that plug in, uh, well, I can't let you end the interview without that, without saying that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's I think that's a that's a good that's a good a good place to end. Yeah, that's yeah, this was uh, this was great. Thanks. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the Kendall cast feed on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. You can find everything I do as well as links to my guest work at KendallCast.ninja. Thanks again. Thank you.